Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect, a sports podcast with some flavor that only I can provide. And today's show, as always, is going to deliver the goods. I'm going to talk NBA basketball with Rob Crowder. We'll get into the Russell Westbrook James Harden debate, talk about the power rankings in the NBA, and we'll do a, a quick rankings also of our top five point guards. It's an interesting time in a point guard driven league. We'll talk about that and more. First, CJ Deer is going to come back on the program. We're going to recap the NFL divisional playoffs. What a wild ride that was. Aaron Rodgers victorious over Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and the Cowboys. Steelers Patriots AFC title game. And Matt Ryan and the Falcons looking like they're for real. NFL divisional recap, NBA talk. It's the Money Mitch effect. Let's go. All right, now joining us on the line on the Money Mitch Effect, CJ Deer back again on the so, on the show. CJ, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. All right, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. We got some good games to talk about. Yeah, finally, you know, finally it was uh, it was a while. I mean, the Wild Card Weekend was kind of a dud, and this weekend it was an interesting one. Saturday set the table. Sunday was some amazing football. And not the expected results. Wild card weekend, we had all four favorites win and win handily at home. It didn't work that way in the divisional round. And I'm going to go out of order, CJ, because there was some good football this weekend. But we have to start with Dallas and Green Bay with the Green Bay Packers beating the Cowboys, upsetting the number one seed in the NFC 34-31. to There's a lot that we can discuss with this game, CJ, but I just don't know how... You can even describe or, or justify what Aaron Rodgers is capable of doing anymore. That's my biggest takeaway from this game. I mean, <laughs> we have to give him his respect. But first off, let's just say, would that have been one of the all-time great Super Bowls if that was a Super Bowl game? <laughs> it would have, yeah. I'm just thinking, yeah. Like, why this couldn't be the Super Bowl? Because these both of these teams was, were evenly matched, packed one up young Cowboys team marching back to make the game and then we just seen Aaron Rodgers with greatness, and then also show some respect to the um, both of the field goal kickers making 50-plus yarders. But like you said, with Aaron Rodgers, it's just nothing he can't do. He makes it look so easy. It's effortless when he releases the ball. I mean, he even made a pretty not-so-great tight end that one play for the same Rams was good. <laughs> I know, that was the first thing you said when I texted you in this game was over, was that Jared Cook, now he makes plays, that's just great. But in all in all seriousness, CJ, the game, there's a, there's a lot that went into this game. It was an all-time classic. It was the highest-rated divisional game, I think, ever. Well, it has a lot to do with the Cowboys and Packers being such big brands. But the game was phenomenal. And I think from the get-go, you know, Troy Aikman said something really interesting, CJ, on the broadcast that, the wild card team he thinks usually comes out a little a little hotter because they had just played because they're crisp and also there's more expectations on that top seed. And I think you really saw that in the first quarter of this game. Dallas was not ready to play, especially defensively, and Aaron Rodgers was on fire. I, no, I definitely agree with you on the um, defensive side. I'm honestly saying I was kind of impressed with the offense the way that they came out that first drive. I mean, like those penalties slow you down and knock you out the rhythm. But for those first couple of possessions where Prescott completing the pass to Williams, you know, the offense looked like they weren't rusty at all. It was the defense that looked really bad, though, in the beginning. 
Yeah, too many times they try to substitute, and that's I don't know what they were doing there. You know how Rodgers operates. He wants the quick play. He'll count. He's one of the most you know smart you know analytical quarterbacks there are. He got them early on all those penalties, on, and then you know just a lot of times the defense out of position. But I mean, Green Bay was moving the ball at will early. Rodgers made some huge throws. I think he had like 200 yards passing about halfway through the second quarter, and you knew early that he was on and he was engaged and. I think that was so important for Green Bay to come into Dallas, a team that had been the most consistent team all season, and just show up early. They wanted to set the tone early, and that's what they did. And when they did that, it took maybe the biggest weapon in the game out of it early, and that was Ezekiel Elliott. Dallas, for whatever reason, CJ, just did not want to run the football and really could not run as much as they wanted to when they were down big early. No, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I feel like by the defense, give it Mexico, Making those mistakes, those having those penalties, which allowing Green Bay to go up twenty-one to three. You can't run the ball because all year, everybody had to um, play the Cowboys' pace of the game. Like they always scored first, always kept a lead, so they allowed Ezekiel to take off. I mean, Zeke still had a, a pretty dominant game, but like you said, they took him out of the game early, which allowed the um, Green Bay Packers defense to be successful, like to get those three and outs or just get that offense off the field and keep giving Aaron Rodgers the ball while he was high and while he was in the rhythm to get that huge lead. Yeah, I mean, I also thought too early Dallas, as, as their offense wasn't terrible, they were, because of the penalties a lot to do, they were settling for field goals. They weren't getting points. Green Bay, it was all touchdowns early. You know, they got 28 points going into early in the second half and they were 4-4 four for four in the red zone. A lot of that was the fact that they were getting balanced. Ty Montgomery had another solid game. And even with Jordy Nelson out, the Packer offense kept moving. Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, even Geronimo Allison in there. I thought that was interesting there. And one thing I want to say about the Cowboys, CJ, offensively, not a good game plan in my opinion. And it goes beyond Zeke. While I think he should have had the ball more because obviously they weren't stopping him. He was averaging about five yards to carry. I think they called some curious plays at times. The interception Dak threw on a telegraph pass on that screen. I didn't even know why they were throwing it there. You know, I, I think they got a little too cute for their offense. I think it was a run pass option. Like he could have either handed the ball to Zeke or throw, throw the ball. But Dak, even though he had a solid game, you could see he made a couple of rookie mistakes throughout the game. A couple of bad passes that he could have he thrown a couple of interceptions, to be honest. He could have, and I think, you know, all the, the Romo talk was getting absurd. I mean, there was no way he was ever going to come into the game. But how similar was this game to the first playoff game that Russell Wilson lost? I was thinking about that the other day when they lost to the Falcons a couple years ago where mm-hmm. they had been down early, he rallies them back, and then they lose last second on a field goal. I thought that was very, very similar. He didn't have a bad game. But he did leave something up to chance. And, you know, you really can't do that when you're playing the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks in the league on the other side. I think he would have had to be near perfect to win this game. It was close, right. but, you know, a couple of throws, and that's the difference at this level. I just really take this game back down to rhythm. Like, with the penalties on the offensive side for the Cowboys and then with the packages um, taking advantage of the opportunity. That's where that's where they lost the game at the end. Like you said, we couldn't you couldn't get Zeke going. That was forced Dak to try to make throws that he's not accustomed to making. Off, he's forced to try to make plays when they're not there. But 
And then I, I mean, I felt like it was just a really good evenly matched game. Oh, yeah. even Dad Bryant. Oh, you know, I was really happy with overall. I mean, I, I I know that the Cowboys locker room are upset, but you know what they did this season with that rookie, the core of their team being the rookies, and it was a really good game. Yeah, and I think I mean they're obviously upset, but I think they'll be back. I mean they they have a lot of young talent. I think they'll be able to to improve their defense. They could get something out of Romo that'll help. I think they'll be fine. Dez had an enormous game, kind of what we actually thought Beckham would do last week against a depleted Packers secondary. But I mean, we got. I mean, and, and Zeke was all right. I mean, he definitely didn't get the ball as much as we would have liked. But that spin move on Clay Matthews is pretty sick, as, he, as you saw. <laughs> I mean, it was he put him in full. I mean, like somewhere. I said, I I just feel like it's tough. You have to get the running game established early, and I and they didn't really go away from it. He just wasn't a focal point of the offense like you really wanted him to be. Yeah. It really fell on in but I thought it was going to fall on the shoulders of that. And you were right about the other thing, too, that the kickers were money. It was as clutch of a collective kicking performance as I can remember seeing. Bailey's shots and then Mason Crosby. I mean, he had three field goals, if you want to count the one right. that they didn't count from over 50 yards. I mean, it was... It was sensational, but I do keep coming back to Rodgers, CJ, because the throws he made early, dropping him in the bucket, just seeing the seeing the field so so easily, easily moving in the pocket. But at the end, there's the two plays that he will be remembered for in this game. One more in particular, which is obviously the throw to Cook. But how about him holding on to the football when he got blindsided and uh, one I, hand on it? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same thing when I saw it live. I'm like, man, I, why he didn't fumble that ball? <laughs> I mean, but I've seen a couple. That's just, I mean, like you said, that's up there just as good as a throw because, you know, we always be like, we it's so routine for Rodgers to roll to his left end, the right-handed quarterback, get square up and make complete the pass, and it just looks so smooth and so clean. But like oh, you yeah. said, that sack, he should have lost the ball. He should have. I mean, I, I think 90% yeah. of the quarterbacks right. lose the ball. He just has the presence. He's got, obviously, he's strong. His, his grip is obviously strong, but he's just, is, he, he, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to explain, but he, certain quarterbacks are just able to feel the heat coming and, in a split second, make that play and hold on to the football. But the throw, man, I mean, that's where the third down and 20 throw that I don't think, first of all, I think 95% of teams in this league don't even try to throw the ball there. Rodgers has that ability to do something like that. But he drew that play in the dirt, CJ. Like, the reports came out. He just pretty much said, you run here, you run there, I'll figure it out. And it was a dime throw and an unbelievable catch, a surprisingly unbelievable catch by Jared Cook. Right. It was a perfect location. I mean, words can't even describe. I just watched it, I don't know, I know over 100 times today. And I'm, every <laughs> time I was impressed, like, how did, how did he make this pass? <laughs> I'm well, just looking, but it's like after so, those three Hail Mary passes, like he, I'm not even surprised anymore. And it's so <laughs> sad because that kind of takes away from his greatness because we expect Rodgers to make those type of plays. Like when I saw it live, I'm just like. <laughs> of course. Yeah, he is the guy that when he chucks it up, you just expect it to be caught. That's just who he is now. And uh, the Hail Mary, the uh, uh, it's just like, I bet you somebody's going to catch Yep, they caught it. <laughs> I think I just heard a stat. He's 65% on those Hail Mary passes. 65%. <laughs> Jesus. That's ridiculous. That is uh, that's a passing grade. He, 
So he's a guy that, I mean, you can just tell the confidence, and you're right, you can't be surprised anymore. If you're playing him, you can never feel confident. I think Dallas is going to remember this game as we started out too slow. You can't give the Packers a lead. They fought hard to get back in, but you can't be down two scores late and expect to beat Aaron Rodgers. And my last thought on this game, CJ, I'm not going to look at this as Dallas choking. This is not in that choke to me. This is a Green Bay team that could be could have beat anyone the way they played yesterday, and I think it's going to hurt, but I have, these were two good teams playing, and I would not classify it as a quote-unquote choke job. No, I absolutely agree. I just feel like we just saw a young team that was put in the playoffs for that first, you know, rookies in the playoffs for the first time, and then so they were just making rookie mistakes. Like you said, I know they're going to learn from them, and then, you know, they won't make those mistakes moving forward. They won't they won't be as heavily penalized as they were this past game. No, they won't. And uh, Green Bay is moving on as I sit here talking with C.J. Deere on the Money Mitch Effect. And they will play in the NFC Championship game. The Atlanta Falcons, who beat the Seattle Seahawks 36-20 yep, right. on Saturday. And that game's going to be in Atlanta, just to let everybody know. There will be one more football game at the Georgia Dome. But Atlanta... A team that had been one and done a couple times in the past. They win this game 36-20, to CJ. We were wondering what type of Atlanta we'd see in the playoffs. It was statistically the best offense in football. Matt Ryan has never looked better. And they lived up to the hype. This offense was dominant. They have a lot of weapons that work. And I, I know Aaron Rodgers is getting the deserved praise right now for what he's doing. But not just Matt Ryan, CJ. All the pieces they have make this maybe... Would I say? Would you say the scariest team in the NFL from an offensive standpoint? You said serious. Scariest. I'm sorry. Yeah, scariest. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. No, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if I have made this prediction on your podcast already, but that's my Super Bowl team. Honestly, oh. I'm you know, but before they even played, I'm like, you know what? After looking at the teams that we have in the pool, like you said, they are the scariest. They have two. Workhorses in the backfield. You know, they have dominant receivers from the X, Z, and the slot. I mean, they tight ends can make plays. And then you have a general and Matt Ryan that's orchestrating the offense down the field. And, like, I'm not really too, like, impressed with that defense. But when you really look at it, which team got a for real dominant defense? The only one that was had a legit defense were the Texans, and they just got knocked out. I mean, you can say the Patriots got an okay defense. Yeah. But really, no other. They shouldn't be afraid of no team, no team defense. I mean, I don't see no other offense in the playoffs right now going toe to toe with this offense, putting up points. Like it's not going to be a back and forth game. They're going to always. They average, I believe, what 30, 40 points in the regular season. Can no other offense really put up that many points? That's a good point in that their defense. They don't. They're not going to play a defense that would scare them, which you think that'd be the matchup that would get them based on who's left. And I do think that you look at, say, New England, for example, because they've been the standard bearer in this league. What does Bill Belichick like to do, CJ? He likes to take away your strength. You can't really do that with this team. They figured out that if you take away, try to take away the running games, we'll just pass you to death. If, we, if you try to take away Julio, we can complete enough passes and just ride the two running back workhorses. I mean, it's scary. And, and the way they beat the Seahawks, CJ... You know, Seattle had that long drive to start the game. You think, okay, here we go again. Atlanta's not ready for the playoffs. They came right back and answered them. They came right back confidently and answered them. And that touchdown pass to Julio Jones, I venture to say we had the same reaction. I just went too easy. It was way too easy. 
when they lined him up in the slot, ran that route, and he waltzed into the end zone. And that was the moment you're like, okay, they're for real. They got Sanu, they got Julio, they got those two running backs. Matt Ryan's at the peak of his powers. This is a damn good team. Yeah, and the highest praise I could give this offense is that they resemble the greatest show on turf. I'm oh. not saying they own them. <laughs> but at the same time, when I, I remember watching those Rams games as a, as a kid, and I'm just like, it seemed like Kurt Warner always had someone open, either on the and – and the thing is, they're not throwing those short five-yard passes. They're going 10 to 15. So you have Taylor, Taylor Gabriel eating up the middle. You might have some new coming in. And then you could just have – Julio running every route on the route tree, and he just physically imposing that you just cannot stop him. So, yeah, I mean, I, this offense, this team could go really far because, like you said, they have the um, pieces to be really successful. No, really de- successful. No, defensively. Not the game, yeah. not the passing game. I don't know what you can do to stop this team. Now, defensively, I do think they're not as I wouldn't say an elite level. Pretty solid. They've been playing better. I think it's going to be about getting a pass rush. I think if they're able to do that, I mean, that's going to be the big thing in their next game is can they get to Aaron Rodgers? But there's enough positives there to make you think. Now, I know Seattle was wounded. I know they didn't have a lot of their pieces. They had guys getting hurt in the game. But this was as impressive a performance, I think, as we saw a weekend top to bottom by Atlanta. And I really do think you could see in Dan Quinn building a culture there. They're going to be a tough team to play. But I do want your... your your final thoughts on a weird Seattle season. That's what. I, that's the way I'll put it. You know, they lose in the divisional round for the second straight year, CJ, but they they battled some injuries. Their offense kind of shifted in what they wanted to do. I just think it was an odd year for the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we always know this is what's going to happen. I mean, one, they got a young offensive line, so we just got to give them time, um, time excuse me, to jail. And, and then for we able to see them as dominant as they were, but also this is just what happens when you have to spend so much money at the quarterback position, because remember when they were really successful, what they was only paying Russell Wilson less than a million dollars, I can't remember his, mm-hmm. his current number, yeah. but then when you give up, give him that huge con- contract and pay all these other pieces, you get weak in certain areas, so I mean, I, I kind of saw this happening, but you know, like injuries hurt them, and then they just didn't have the depth at certain positions to be able to just fill in. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't expect too much out of this team, to be honest with you, like when they had Marshawn Lynch and every um, a couple of years ago when they went to two two Super Bowls, what was it, three total? No, just I, two, I but they were clo- – They were. it was two Super Bowls. They were always in the playoffs making a push for the Super Bowl. But my thing is is that this injury caught up with them and then also just having to pay all your – the superstars all of this money so you just lose in depth at other positions yeah no you're exactly right and you see that with injuries when you have depth a guy can go down like an earl thomas i mean obviously you're not going to replace him but a cj pro size a tyler lock and you have another body that's comparable you didn't have that anymore because all these guys were getting money it was a good job of reloading slash rebuilding on the fly but they've got some work to do they got to address that line russell wilson did a good job and dealing with the uh, you know, changing parts in front of him. Although I have to say, CJ, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think they did rustle a little dirty in Atlanta bringing out all Sierra's exes on the sideline. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's, no, I actually, I respect the gamesmanship of it, but, man, Bow Wow and Future, 
Man, then I just and they didn't have Fifty Cent there. That was the one that would have I would have you know <laughs> all hands up. But I did see today that Future got sent his son a uh, Falcons jersey. So <laughs> that's uh, yeah, no, that's uh, so that arrived at the Wilson compound today. Uh, but uh, I think I think they're doing all right. I think they'll be fine. You know, he's a champion. He'll bounce yeah, I, back. Yeah, I just I think it was that year. But real quick, back back to the Falcons. I do feel like I don't know if this be doing any predictions, but I feel like what we talked discussed earlier with the Cowboys not establishing a run game early on, which um you know, because it's basically time of possession, the offense really couldn't get in the rhythm. I feel like the Falcons are, that's what they're gonna be able to do. They're gonna come out they're gonna keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline as long as they can. So you know, his opportunities and his window to really make plays is gonna be decreased. Yeah, I mean, and also I think to go off that, they're going to establish the run, but they're also better suited to come back if they do fall behind. Dallas doesn't really operate that way. So something to kind of consider. But want to move on here to the AFC talking divisional round NFL football with C.J. Deer on the Money Mitch effect. And one game I don't want to spend too much time on is that Patriots-Texans game, C.J. It was not pleasant to watch. It's rare when you see a team win by 18 points and admit that they played bad, but the Patriots win 34-16. to They are back in the AFC Championship game again. It seems like they're always there, but I think we'd all agree they have some work to clean up on. They, this was not an impressive work, workman-like performance by the Patriots. I have looked at the quarterback that Tom Brady faced this season. I have seen a board and they were not stellar at all. I mean, I'm not going to say it was a cakewalk for him to make it back to the playoffs and to the AFC Division around championship, but it was a cakewalk. <laughs> you know, like, he had crazy. a pretty easy road, but like you said, they haven't really faced no dominant team that's really going to push Tom Brady to play to his level. But like you said, Texas gave him a little run for their money early on, but then, you know, they just didn't have enough firepower to really win the game, but... You know, they showed a couple of weak spots in the Patriots game. Yeah, Jadavian Clowney had another good game. He got to Brady, I think, better than anyone we've seen. Like, he was roughing Tom up a little bit. And I, right, well, that's how you seen Tom on his back. I know, and, and these weren't just knockdowns. These were legit shots. I think for Houston, Brock Osweiler is just not a good quarterback. They had no offense there. Will Fuller drops that pass that maybe could have gotten them in the game, but you never really felt like they were going to win when they had Osweiler as their quarterback. New England did enough. Brady didn't look great. It was a cold-weather game. I don't know if his age factors into that. But Deion Lewis is dynamic. James White's good. You know, Martellus Bennett, for as much as Gronk's missing, that's a guy, especially next week against Pittsburgh, could be a difference maker because he's not Gronk. No one is. But he's a legit, pretty much borderline pro ball tight end. And I think he's going to be an X factor as well. This team has some things to work on, but it's still New England. They're still able to make the plays down the stretch and overcome poor plays. I think that's an underrated part of playing football at this level, CJ, is that you're going to have mistakes. You're going to have breakdowns. They can rebound, throw it away, and come out and just make the plays after. Yeah. Like, you can never bet against Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the Patriots. No. You know. Here they are again. Here, here they are. <laughs> right. And then it's on to the Steelers. So I think that they got a good, a really good shot at knocking them off. Well, they will play the Steelers. That's the other team that made it to the AFC Championship game. They beat the Chiefs 18-16. 
in a game that's going to transform playoff football as we know it. It was played Sunday night due to an ice storm, and the ratings were great. I think we're going to see more Sunday night playoff football games, but the Steelers win. They didn't score a touchdown, CJ. Six field goals by Chad Boswell, but they do advance. And for Pittsburgh's standpoint, I know if they would have scored touchdowns the way they dominated time of possession, they would have won more handily. But you have to feel good knowing that in a game where defense was good, not great, in a game where Ben Roethlisberger wasn't the big Ben of old, it's good to have Le'Veon Bell back there. It's good to have that workhorse that can just chew up yards, time of possession, and really dictate tempo. And I think that's that's why Pittsburgh won this game. I agree. Just because of the run game. And Le- Le'Veon Bell probably been dominating. I mean, there's nothing this kid cannot do. He had over 100 yards in the first half, like you said, and that's, what, that's how you win playoff games. Just from the running game. So he come out, control the pace of the game, allow Big Ben just to make a, enough throws, you know, just to get the team into field goal range, even with Antonio Brown. Then that's really solid. I mean, these kickers have stepped up in the playoffs. I just just remember all the time he was giving them. You know, they had a bad rep for all the field goals they missed, but these kickers truly have stepped up in the playoffs when it matters most. Every one of your team performing at a high level, if you expect to win games. And ultimately win the championship. I mean, Chris Boswell makes six field goals. He he paces them there. You know, Le'Veon Bell, 30 carries for 170 yards, and that's what I think Dallas would have preferred to do or should have preferred to do is get Zeke 30-plus carries in a game like that. But, hey, I do want to ask you, though, I haven't seen I – mean, we for all, the, for all the hype about Bell and his running style, I think it is legitimate. We haven't seen anybody run quite like him. Why do you think, you know, as a former college football player yourself, why do you think he's so effective in this style where he, you know, kind of hesitates, pauses, doesn't really accelerate like the running backs of old? Right. I just, I, I put it towards his quickness because I just remember playing football. That was the number one. If you ever tiptoe in the line, like you coming out of the game, you're not playing running back. Like that's the number yeah. one thing your coach tell you not to do. But the thing is, it's his quickness, his burst. Once he his vision, it's just like he's patient enough. He understands where his guard is pulling from, what they're responsible for. And now, I don't think enough people give him credit for that because he understands his, his offensive alignment assignment. I know he's going to kick out this defensive end, so I'm going to be patient, let him get to where he needs to do, make the block, and then I'm going to read, you know, they basically read Nate Butts or whatever. So they're like, all right, if he's going at this angle, I know to hit this hole. So I just, I really credit it to his quickness. Like, once he sees the hole, he hits it. And then it's just like a lot of running backs when they just hit the hole and then they end up getting stuck. But if you just, I guess, do his little hop, his little patience, <laughs> and then hit the hole, that's when you're able to gain 8 to 10 yards on almost every run. Yeah, aesthetically, it looks a little different. And I would equate it to, you know, I'm a former hockey player myself. It stops and starts. He's able to accelerate, like you said, with those bursts because... When he slows down, he can just speed up right again. He, When his feet stop, he can get going. If it wasn't that way, he would get messed up pretty good by some of these big boys inside. And I think his vision is another thing. He's able to see holes and see plays before they develop. That gives him an advantage. He's not somebody that gets particularly lit up too bad. And I think he's been a main reason, the main reason, for why they're playing as well as they are. Thinking about it, it's like when he's hopping too, he's not going lateral. He's always going north north like he's always going forward and I think that helps him out too because if he's taking lateral steps like going left and right 
that's going to get a defense enough time to tackle him, you know, behind the line or make negative yardage plays. But every, if you ever look at it, like, he, even if he's hopping to the left, he's always going forward, too. Yeah, that's good insight. That's a very good point, and it's true. He's always making it. He's always going forward, gaining yards, and, and doing it that way. I do want to talk about the Chiefs, though, CJ, because, again, they lose another playoff game close. Their defense played well. They were able to slow down Roethlisberger. But end of the game, they weren't able to make just enough plays. They Two-point conversion play, CJ, they get. It's called back for a holding. Then they decide not to kick the onside kick. Just what are your thoughts with how the Chiefs managed and how they performed in the final minutes of this game? Hmm. Let me see what's the best way to do it. I just feel like you never expect Andy Reid-led teams to really <laughs> it's bad to say it, go far in the playoffs because they just all year it's just like it's about time of possessions for the offense. Like you said, and, they, and that the way that that game was set up, it was set up for them to win. Mm-hmm. Certainly was. And, and they made the, the Alex Smith when it was crunch time when he had to be clutched to make the right throws to get the offense down the field to score. He did it at the right time, and then it just a two point conversion. And then uh, again, called back because of the penalty. Then the onside kick. I mean, I just I don't even know what's the best way to describe the Chiefs <laughs> because it's just like unfortunately they were just put in a bad situation. I I go back to the game that they beat the Falcons on the very very. You know, just they luck ran out. Can yeah. you say that? I mean, they did it up to get there. But then, you know, they just didn't have enough, you know, unfortunately with the penalties, you know, knocked them out of the two-point conversion. Yeah. Well, I think, too, they never got the big play from Tyreek Hill. He was their X factor. Pittsburgh did a good job bottling him up. Plays were just not made by the players on the field. Alex Smith was just solid. That's pretty much been how he has performed his career. Kelsey had a drop. Tarkandrick West had a fumble. There were plays that were... I mean, Kelsey is a very yeah, colorful guy, but didn't make the plays. Yeah, offense all season were based around big play. And, and the running game was in this too. You know, they got kind of a gift to get down to, to score that touchdown. I mean, not a gift. You, you obviously pray for Conley, but, I mean, he got demolished on that helmet-to-helmet hit. But so they're inside. They waste all that time. They get the two-point conversion. It's a holding call that could have gone either way, but I actually like the call. I think that's what should have been made as much as I dislike the Steelers. But why are you not onside kicking there? I mean, you know who you're facing. I know it's cold, but it's Ben. It's Antonio Brown. It's Le'Veon. Do you really think you're going to get the ball back? Yeah, you do. <laughs> I mean, because the defense stopped them the whole game. You know, and they all were, they were only getting field goals. I mean, to be, because what was it, like two minutes and what? 56. I, mean, I forgot. I, mean, I probably would have yeah, kicked the deep, too. Okay. Well, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I would rather be aggressive and lose in that situation than what happened, not get the ball back and feel helpless. But at the end, Kansas City, just the same old story. Didn't have enough firepower. Pittsburgh did make the plays when they needed to. And I do think going forward in New England, CJ, Ben's got to play a little better. Because Brown had over 100 yards, but he had one big play. You really take that away, he wasn't his normal self. Eli Rogers and Jesse James, those were the only targets that Ben found. He threw a pick, no touchdowns. I just feel like New England is going to make him make those plays. And I think Bell's the one they try to take away. And I think Ben's going to be the one that has to beat them if they're going to win. Yes, that's definitely what they're going to have to do. I agree. It's going to be a great game. I'm thinking the Steelers, though, by the way. 
I'm sick of this game. I'm sick of Patriots Steelers. I'm so fed up now that I've really just resolved to whoever wins the NFC title game is going to get my vote in the Super Bowl. But that's kind of where we are. <laughs> but, but so no, I mean that's uh, before I let you go on the money, Mitch effects, CJ Deer. It sounds like you see a Falcons Steelers Super Bowl. That has a weird ring to it. It really does. I mean, I want to see the rematch between the Steelers and the Packers, but I honestly, I can't see nobody matching this Falcons firepower. You know, there's too many weapons. Yeah. They, you can't other teams um, go toe-for-toe, point-for-point with the Falcons at this point. So I have them winning the Super Bowl. And I wow. think it would be a really fun Super Bowl, too, with the Steelers and the Falcons because, you know, you have the three, the big three in Pittsburgh, and then you have the what? forward to that NFC title game with the two MVP finalists, pretty much. Yes! <laughs> so, yes. you know, we'll see what happens there. It could be a lot. I know the voting is regular season, but it's fun to see really the top three finalists with Brady as well, all playing in championship, in conference championship Sunday. Well, CJ Deer, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect, and hey, enjoy that 30-year-old coach for the, your LA Rams now, Sean no, McVay. No. <laughs> Don't remind me. Hey, I just I, I, I know he's a smart offensive guy. You know, he did his college studies at Miami of Ohio, but how are you gonna get respect in that locker room? How are you gonna command respect as a kid? I don't know. That's That's the, <laughs> you know, they don't need any more I mean, you know, I love player coaches because that's how my coach was in college and you know, we rallied behind him, but at the same time for this team, they don't need they need a, a, a coach that's well established, you know, that that's one in the NFL. And and I just don't think that was the smartest coach in hire. But what about the Chargers coming to LA? Are you behind it? Oh God, how could I be? I mean, it's just like uh, whatever. I mean, that's I feel like that's the attitude. As LA residents now, that was pretty fast, wasn't it? They just showed up one day. They just have a logo and they're doing media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, is that the equivalent of not even letting the Rams know they're just the family member that's just going to crash on their couch? I, I mean, I, I honestly feel like it's more of a financial thing. Cronky looked at it. It was just like, oh, man, I don't know how I'm about to pay off this stadium with just the Rams, and we need to get another team. Yeah, well. <laughs> you know, the, the terms of the race and the people showing up to the game. So. Yeah, I feel bad for the people of San Diego, but – They'll be all right down there, and yeah, now we have two football teams, and they're going to play in a soccer stadium next year, so get excited. Now, that should be interesting. I would definitely want to go catch one of those games. I just want to see how the atmosphere in that small arena. Oh, yeah. Well, CJ, thanks for coming on the show, and we're going to have to do this again before the Super Bowl. I know it's only a couple weeks away, but we're getting down to it. There's only a couple football games left, three left. It's hard to believe, only three meaningful games left this year. Yeah, this is the best time of the season, though. This is the best time of the year. Playoffs. When games matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, CJ. Thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. All right. Thank you, man.
Big thanks to CJ Deer, as always, for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and talking NFL football with me. Still, only three games left. Got to appreciate it. Got to cherish it, as Billy Madison told the third grade class. All right, now it's time to talk to Rob Crowder about the NBA. He's an NBA mind from the great state of Oklahoma. And we're going to talk about the big NBA storylines going on right now, the Russell Westbrook-James Harden debate as both of them are setting ablaze to the NBA record books. We'll talk about the power rankings, Cavs, Warriors, some Spurs, some Raptors, Clippers, what have you. And we'll get into the state of big men in the league and then talk about our best and our favorite point guards in the league right now. It's an interesting time for that. Rob Crowder, sports guy from Oklahoma, Money Mitch Effect, here he is right now. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, recurring guest on the show, Rob Crowder. Rob, thanks for coming back and joining the program. Glad to be here. Now we're going to talk NBA. I know you're a college football guy. The season's over. We're going to switch gears to professional basketball. And we'll start with this, Rob. As long as I've known you, you've promoted how big of an Oklahoma City Thunder fan you are. And it's been an interesting six months, I'll say that. But at the top of that list, you have what Russell Westbrook's doing, which is transforming the game. It's something that we haven't seen ever before. From a fan's perspective, I know we watch a lot of sports and we we cover a lot, but to see this happen for your own team, for the team you root for, what's that like? What's that perspective like as a fan to see what this young player is doing, terrorizing the league? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, Russell Westbrook is a player that the NBA has never seen before. I mean, the most comparable player in history has been Oscar Robertson, (laughs) at least statistically. But it took him 10 minutes more per game to do what Russell is doing. And Russell is is just revolutionizing everything. I mean, he's the most explosive point guard to ever play the game, hands down. So uh, it's, it's fun to watch from a player standpoint. From a fan standpoint, it's exciting and frustrating because if you look at that team... I mean, I'll ask you this question, Mitch. Who's, who's the second best player on the Thunder? It's a good question. You could say Adams, Oladipo. I, I did, I, I did want to point that out, too, because he's doing this with, without a lot of help. And even when it was a better team, when Durant was still there, Rob, I was more of a uh, Westbrook defender because they needed this. You know, They needed him to make these plays even more so now. So... Yeah, I think it can be frustrating, but to kind of go off what you were saying, I think it makes sense the way that he, the way that he plays because it's his style and it's needed from the team. They need him to do these things because they aren't a deep roster. Right, completely. I do wonder, though, going forward with this team, I don't know what the long-term plan is. I'm very happy, as you are, obviously, that he signed uh, an extension. But I want to ask you, as, as a supporter of this team, how would you build a team around Westbrook? What would be the next step, him obviously the focal point, for building a team that could contend for titles? Honestly, I think the Thunder just needs a number two scorer who's not a guard. So preferably a power forward, short, small forward. Because Robertson is an amazing small forward. He's, I would argue he's right now the best defender in the league, or at least in the top five. He's at least in the discussion. And... He can guard anywhere from the one to the four. So what we need is a guy who can be essentially a stretch three scorer. Yeah, that would, so, that would help a ton for sure. Yeah, the word on the street is 
the Thunder are looking to get Rudy Gay from the Kings, and that would fill that scoring role because the second best scorer on the Thunder, hands down, is Inez Canner. But you can't play him in fourth quarter situations because he can't guard anyone. That's why we need someone who's who can guard a, a power forward and can also guard a two guard late in the game. And, and Rudy Gay seems to fit all that criteria, and the Thunder have already expressed interest in him. Yeah. the Thunder make that move, but I mean, the team as it is right now, yeah, it'll be it'll for sure be a fun playoff series, whoever they pull. But I don't see the Thunder going past the first, maybe the second, if even that. I mean, it's an interesting dilemma to have, and I, and I will say this about Westbrook: the thing that that shocks me. I mean, it's hard to be surprised by what he's doing. But it's the rebounds. I mean, we haven't seen a point guard rebound like that, and he attacks the ball like no guard, really, we've ever seen on the glass, offensive, defense, you name it. I will say this, though. It's an interesting time. I know we have a guy in Westbrook that's terrorizing the league. Are you still convinced that he is a consensus MVP right now? Because, to be fair, there is another guy that's making a case as well. Well, I I think... I think you've got to realize what Westbrook is doing with what he has. And the argument that I've been hearing all year is that James Harden is, is somehow, you know, doing more with less, and they're the three seed. He's not doing more with less. He has Ryan Anderson. He has Corey Brewer. He has Nene. He has Trevor Ariza. He has Patrick Beverly. I mean, that, that lineup right there is immediately better than the Thunder starters well, and second spot. That Harden should even be considered right now, in my opinion is a slap in the face. Like, <laughs> I, don't get me wrong. What he's doing is amazing yeah. and would win the MVP pretty much any other year. But what Russell Westbrook is doing has never been done. In fact, I mean, you look at it right now. We're, we're not even at the All-Star break, and he has set the record for most triple-doubles of the season since Oscar Robertson. You know? Yeah. That, that can't <laughs> You know? And the fact that people are like, oh, well, the Thunder might pull a six or a seven seed. Like, that shouldn't matter. I mean, he is the most valuable player. There is not a better player in the league right now who's doing what he is doing on the basketball court. No question. Okay. Um, a couple things. I knew I'd get you riled up with that. <laughs> with that. Yeah, oh, man. Harder. That's a hot question for me. So, not to play, I mean, I guess to play devil's advocate, I'll look at it from one perspective. It's funny, too, because you talk to a Houston fan, you talk to an OKC fan, it seems like the first thing that happens is downplaying the, the lineup. <laughs> saying that our roster is worse. Because I talked to a Houston fan the other day, and he said the same thing, that the Rockets lineup, he doesn't think, is as good as the Thunder or vice versa. But all I'll say is that statistically you're 100% right. Westbrook is having a year that no one else has ever had before. Where this gets interesting, Rob, is I think you'd have to admit that Harden's not that far off of what Westbrook's doing. It's not he, Westbrook is blowing everybody else in the NBA out of the water except for Harden. He's... In his last couple games, is actually averaging, uh, I think, two-tenths less than a triple-double. I mean, the rebounds is where it is, but he's leading the league in assists, and he's right up there with points, too. I think that's where you can kind of get comparable. I think both players are doing everything their team's asking of them. I think the seeding thing is where it gets tricky because, historically, you don't have a precedent for what Westbrook's doing. You also really don't have a precedent for giving an MVP to a player that doesn't make a top three, four team in their conference. So... I mean, I think with half the season left, I think the voters are going to have their hands filled if it keeps going this way. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but even when I jump into, you know, statistics, I mean, Russell Westbrook's, what, 
He's averaging two fewer minutes a game. He's got a higher PER by Hollinger. I think it's honestly Westbrook's to lose. I mean, I do understand Harden's having an amazing season, but he's fifth in efficiency in the league as opposed to Russell, who's number one outright. No question. Yeah, so, yeah, I I, I definitely agree. It's it's a discussion that needs to be had, but I'm still in the the court of it's Russell's to lose, and I think most people are except people, you know, writers on Twitter who kind of want to stir the pot right now. I mean, I do admit what Harding's doing is, is exciting, but... He's doing it in a much different manner than Westbrook. Westbrook's doing it on a, you know, he's getting to the rack, he's, he's getting assists, he's getting rebounds. And most, and you know, Harden, Harden's averaging more, you know, free throw attempts per game and free throw makes per game. So he's kind of living off of his, you know, get to the rack, get fouled, his whole shtick that he had uh, his whole career. So, yeah, the old yeah I mean, I, I can't yeah. wait to see how the rest of the season shakes out because both of these guys are their usage rates are ridiculously high. So I, uh, one of them potentially going to get injured at this work rate, but, um, yeah, I don't want to see that. I'm enjoying it while it's going on, you know? So, right. And it's funny because they both mean so much to their team and they're doing it in completely different ways. Their games are so different yet. They're having historic seasons. So, I mean, I'm excited. I, I think, I know obviously you have a horse in the race. I just like seeing good basketball, seeing these guys that aren't on super teams have great seasons as I sit here and talk right. with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch Effect talking NBA basketball, some other big storylines as well. I do want to get your thoughts on the NBA power rankings at the top because it's it's looking again like Cavs Warriors who, you know, are, are looking like the class of the league as such. You have San Antonio doing well, the Rockets we mentioned, the Raptors. Is there anything, Rob, at the top of the list, the top five, six teams in the league that surprises you with how the season's gone to this point? I mean, honestly, it would have to be the, the top five in the East. The Wizards are in the top five in the East right now, which just seems, you know, fairly comical. But uh, the Celtics coming in at three with, with the new, you know, the Horford move is certainly ex- exciting, to say the least. I think, too, with you look at those teams you named, I mean, would you agree that there's not really much, I mean, these are solid teams, but there's not much to differentiate between teams two through seven? Six in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, two through six in the East is, there's only seven games difference. I guess the comparison I would make would be three through, three through nine even, because that's only a less than a, that's a five and a half game spread between all those teams. So the Hornets have a good week and they can be in the five spot out of the nine, you know, so. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I would say about the Wizards, I mean, it is kind of comical that they're there, but I think we did forget how good John Wall was. I know he was injured. I think he's starting to finally fit in. And Bradley Beal's getting on the court. I mean, I don't know if this team's a contender, but they were missing a lot of those games or two-star players with injuries. So I think just being healthy will give you a bump in the Eastern Conference. Oh, totally, completely, yeah. And then the Western Conference right now is what it normally is. The top top rungs are just juggernauts. Say the least. Yeah, so. you can always count on San Antonio to be there in that 2-3 range. Houston's having a good year, obviously Golden State. Clippers are an interesting team though, Rob, because they're, you know, sitting in that 4, you know, 4-5 range consistently with the Blake injury. But there's a lot more pressure on them this year. I mean, we're getting the sense out here that they're going to blow this thing up if they underachieve again. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. Uh they 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 got some bad knocks with injuries that you know, some of the other big teams have, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, 
that other teams have been fortunate to not have, you know, with Blake Griffin being out and such. I mean, the Thunder right now have beaten them in both of their head-to-heads, mm-hmm. and the Thunder are the sixth seed right now and play them tonight. So there's a lot of moving left in the West, especially between, what, the four and the... Seven, right? Yeah. The four and seven is wide open. I mean, the Clippers for the Grizzlies, that's the three-point, three-game spread. Yeah, I've never. No. I, I can't remember the cliff being so drastic, seven to eight. I mean, there is just you know the eight seats, a couple games under five hundred right now. So you're looking at a conference that has its clear best seven teams so far. I mean, there's a lot of basketball to be played, but I think it's certainly uh, interesting to say the least. I, I did want your thoughts on one thing in particular. I hate to look ahead already to next season, but reports are coming out of Sacramento, Rob, that DeMarcus Cousins is going to get offered a $200 million contract extension. Now, he's a polarizing guy, very skilled, a lot of uh, drama, baggage with him, what have you. What do you think about this deal, though? Do you think this makes sense for both Cousins and Sacramento to stick it out long term? Man, I, I, I don't think so. I think Cousins needs to get out of there, and the Kings just need to you know, cut their losses. I mean, they just have botched handling a star player for, what, five, six seasons with him? And he hasn't developed at all. I mean, he's he's a, a good player that does well on the national team, but, like, he's never in a big game where he's making a big impact because the Kings are just never in big games. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, this team has been perennially awful. They've picked in the top ten, I think, the last seven or eight drafts in a row. I mean, how does that, how, how do you whiff that many times to where you're not building anything? And I, I am the farthest from a DeMarcus Cousins defender, but he's had, what, five, six coaches in his career? I mean, it's insane. The guy has yeah. it's no stability. I, I don't know how anyone would really succeed when it's constantly moving parts and chaos around you. I think there's a lot to like about his game. I think as far as skilled big men go, there really aren't as many like that left, and I think he's one of them. There's some issues with his maturity, obviously. You can't have the blow-ups that he has. There's also the stamina. I mean, you watch him play, and he gets tired late. I mean, it's just it's what happened. Part of the reason why they haven't succeeded down the stretch. But, you know, it, it, he's an asset. There aren't You lose him, what do you replace him with? Probably not much. I would like to think that Sacramento has a plan toward building towards the future, but there's really nothing to base that on. Right. Completely. And it's sad because I think he's a guy that if he was traded for, if he signed somewhere else, that could swing, especially in the Eastern Conference, Rob, that could swing the playoff picture drastically. Correct. Yeah, totally. And if the Thunder are lucky and can make their move, not mm-hmm. having Rudy Gay and DeMarcus Cousins, that's, you know, their two scorers. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if they choose Cousins uh, rather than, you know, flipping Gay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. It'll be interesting. Some the Kings are a fun team, you know. They they've got some interesting pieces, but I don't think they'll compete for anything anytime in the near future. So Yeah, it's not looking likely, unfortunately, in Sacramento as I still talk with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch Effect NBA Hoops Action. This January Monday, Martin Luther King Day as we record this. And Rob, I want to get your thoughts on something else. Kind of away from the roster side of things. Stan Van Gundy, coach of the Detroit Pistons. Went on a little bit of a tirade against instant replay, saying, pretty much saying to hell with it. They're making the games too long with the process. Do you agree with Van Gundy, some of his sentiments, maybe all of it, that replay is just a drawn-out process that's making these games way too long? Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that, that at the end of game, it, games, it definitely bogs it down. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they should only do it when the game is on the 
the line. Like, if the game's like a 20-point game and the ball goes out, who cares where it goes out, you know? Yeah. But, I don't know. I like it. I like it in most situations, uh, late in games, if the game's tight, because you know, you know, it's not like the NFL when it's like, this play is confirmed, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, it stands, it's confirmed, it's overturned, it's like, it is cut and dry, whatever they say, that is the call, and that I do think is necessary. I think with college, like college football, for example, we saw that title game. It was the longest game ever. Like there was just too many reviews. I, I think you could limit certain, you could limit certain things. What's reviewable, what's not reviewable. Instant replay adds value to that, but you do want elements of human error still involved in it. It's what makes sports sports. But you know, kind of go further than that, Rob. You can always in any sport, baseball, hockey, football, what have you. You can tighten up the process itself. I think that's the bigger issue is it's just taking too long to review these plays. And I think there's yep. always room to improve there. And I get where Van Gundy's coming from because these games get drawn out. It, it disrupts the flow. How many times have you watched the basketball game, Rob, where replay happens and it just completely disrupts the flow of what's happening, especially late in games? Oh, totally, yeah. It's, it's, it's been rampant recently, and, and hopefully they, they can find a good middle ground. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's the case with most sports right now is that they just need to streamline them because basically streaming is taking over and commercials are not really the viable model, but the networks that are carrying right now still have to rely on that model. So hopefully hopefully they can find a middle ground where they can shorten game time and still make money. Absolutely. It's something that, you know, with commercials, that's a good point. You don't, you need some of these breaks as well, but how can you maximize money but also keep the fans engaged and interested all the way through? It's something to think about. I do want to ask you, getting back to the action on the court, Rob, it's an interesting time I keep bringing up for young talent. And while I mentioned that DeMarcus Cousins is built in that traditional big men role, you're finding a lot of diversity among the younger generation of bigs, so to speak, in the league. There's, they're typical back-to-the-basket players, but we're seeing some new guys that can do a little bit of an inside-outside game. With that in mind, I mean, there's a ton to choose from, but who are some of the young athletic guys up front that you're looking at as, you know, I guess transcending what we thought or what we thought we knew about big men? And there's a guy in Philly that comes to mind. I mean, Joel Embiid is just playing out of his freaking gourd right now uh yeah he's unbelievable brandon ingram has a lot of potential i mean larry nance with his athleticism is essentially playing multiple positions which i mean you can play him from guard to to power forward right now with his athleticism at the rim i think the nba all-stars voting said it best in that it's not your best you know it's not five positions anymore it's backcourt and frontcourt you're not picking a center and, two, and a power forward anymore. You're picking either two power forwards, two centers, or one of each. So that's kind of where the game has evolved. Is is that that back to the back to the basket center is, is the worst shot in basketball, and, and and teams aren't playing it, which from a metric standpoint makes a ton of sense. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I like it. I like. I, like, I just like that the game is evolving, and it's not kind of where it was during the Stevie Francis days, where you know, you can, um, you know, you can score a ton of points, but you're not playing good basketball still, you know, like a Tracy McGrady was mm-hmm. at certain points in his career. Glad, just glad to see the game evolving and, and coaches kind of experimenting, unlike the NFL, you know, where they kind of keep sticking to different trends for, you know, extended periods of time. 
Right, and I look at it, I mean, you brought up a good point with the All-Star game. Like, how do you vote, I, even though they're listed as the same position, how can we treat, you know, Twitter beef aside, Joel Embiid and Hassan Whiteside? They're two completely different players. It's almost like different criteria. They're both effective at what they do, but this new generation of Embiid, of Carl Anthony Towns that could shoot from the outside, I think that is what's where the league tends to be going because guys are developing jump shots and... You know, it's mobility, too. I mean, God, Rob, look at Porzingis in New York. I mean, that's kind of a dumpster fight yeah. right now. But he can move. He can shoot. He can run. Yeah, completely. Holy cow. And and yeah. I also kind of look at, you know, I mentioned Whiteside leading the league in rebounds. Rudy Gobert in Utah is deserving of a lot of praise for how he's played. And uh, another guy that, you know, for his passing, that it's, doesn't get a lot of praise based on where he's playing. But Joe Kitsch out in Denver, man, he is something to watch. I think it's a deep talent pool of quote-unquote big guys, but it is unlike anything we've seen before because they're not back to the basket. No, not at all. Yeah, if anything, they'll take you on the dribble. <laughs> yeah. And and one note, I guess, on Embiid. I'm a big fan of what he's doing. His personality is unmatched. Philly got, you know, they finally figured out some of these picks that worked out for them. They're going to get Ben Simmons back, but I have to scratch my head, Rob, at how they're managing their surplus of bigs. I mean, Okafor, Noel, it's clear they want to move on, but they're, they're not, you know, they're not playing that close to the vest at all. They're just dangling them for everybody to see. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where those guys end up, because based on fans, you know, Philly fans, they're they're ready to kind of make the moves and, and square this away, because it's got to be Okafor and Noel, honestly, because Embiid's clearly not going anywhere, and Oh, no, yeah. um, you know, I could see Boston making a move for one of those bigs, honestly, before the deadline, because they're getting gutted down low, because Horford's, Horford's playing more of a stretch these days, so it'll be interesting to see kind of who ends up making what moves here in the next month or two. Yeah. There are definitely some high-level teams that are in need of, of certain positions. Yeah, and really has assets. to be the gatekeeper for some of them. Certainly is something to monitor. I do want to ask you, uh, in addition to kind of the good stuff that's going on in the NBA, Rob, with what's going on in New York, Phil Jackson, Carmelo, it's just disintegrating, Derrick Rose not showing up apparently for games. Is there one, is there any way I should say that this has a happy outcome? Like I can't figure out a way where this works out when you have a lot of egos, butting heads, and a lot of people that quite frankly are mailing it in in the Big Apple. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it working with the structure that's set up right now. No, I mean, Phil uh, Jackson wants yeah, to run the team from home. Yeah, kind of lost the confidence of his team, especially with uh, the whole posse comments, because LeBron is good buds with Melo, and then the whole Derrick Rose thing is just quite odd, to say the least. I mean, and they have Porzingis, though. That's, that's a huge bright spot, but, like, are they going to scare Porzingis off? I know, I that's know. that's the that's the one thing to look at there. I mean, Porzingis should be the guy you run your team from. There should be a transition of power. And I guess getting away from Phil, as, as terrible as that experiment has gone, I don't know that Carmelo is the type of player, Rob, that's going to be like, okay, Porzingis, it's your time to shine. I'll let you kind of shoulder the load a little bit. I don't, I don't think that's in his nature, and I think that's not going to happen. I agree completely. I think... I think- I think the Knicks are kind of in um, Kobe land, if that makes sense. They've got this <laughs> high-value player that's been with them for seemingly his entire career. And he's 
got a big contract. He's about to sign a bigger one. You know, what's the move? So, right, right. I, mean, I he, think the Knicks are about to be in for a big, uh, big surprise here in, in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's too bad because you, you think they have the talent to build the team, but it's just not working out the way that they had hoped. As I chat with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, Rob, one thing I wanted to do, especially given how the league's been going and how some of you know our favorite players have been playing, right now, right now, in the 2016-17 NBA season, if we had to do a quick power rankings of point guards, how would you see your top five looking at this point in time? Top five point guards? I think you'd have to go Westbrook, Harden, Steph, Oh man, Kyle Lowry. That's four. Kyrie. Wow, so no uh, Chris Paul? Is he is he, <laughs> is he... Uh, no. No, no Chris Paul right now. Wow. Um Let me let me let me yeah. think about that again. Maybe Chris Paul over Lowry, but that would be the only swap. Yeah. Not in that order. So I guess one thing is are we considering uh the Greek freak? <laughs> Does, Does he, he count as a point card? I don't know. That's <laughs> You know he probably doesn't, but we weren't. We didn't bring him up during the big man discussion. I think he's the most exciting young player in the league to watch, but you just don't know where to classify him. Like, what is he? Yeah, he leads his team in every category. Completely. I would say. I mean, one and two are locks, right? I mean, Westbrook, Harden. I mean, yeah, yeah. Look, one, two, and I mean, some. I would put Westbrook over. Most people would. Harden, okay, but basically, we know without getting back to the old argument. We know who the top two point guards in the league are this season. I don't know, and I'm not I'm not a, a, a Curry hater, but I don't know that he's the third best point guard this year. Not that he's regressed, but he's not playing at a level that we're accustomed to. That's so, true. I'm, usage is completely down since Durant got there. You know, part of, yeah. so, arguably, they, they're stronger as a team, potentially. Yeah, oh, without question. And I think, too, Rob, not to dwell on the Warriors, but... This is what happens with super teams. Uh, this is what happened in Miami. This is what happened in Boston when they start out. You have to figure out who dominates when, how to share the ball, how to share the one basketball on the court. I don't think he's... I mean, I think the argument that he's regressing is kind of ridiculous. No, I think he's just... Obviously, Steve Kerr is using him in a different role that the team needs right now. Yeah, I would say... I mean, you probably you probably put Kyrie ahead of him right now. And then Curry, Paul, oh, I, Paul Curry. Especially their head-to-heads that they had. Yeah. It's fascinating. Their head-to-heads, I know they're going to play again tonight at the time of this taping, but when they play each other head-to-head, I think part of it is different responsibilities, and, and that's not to, to say one's better or worse than the other, but when you have LeBron, when you have Kevin Love, Kyrie can just go into scoring mode, can just go into attack mode. You know, I, I just, it's weird. They're... they're for as good as they are, for as good as their handles are especially, they do play the game completely different. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, and I would say, I mean, Lowry's had a great season. I know Willard hasn't had his best. John Wall might be knocking on the door, but it's hard for me to go against Paul. He's like that quarterback, Rob, that's not flashy, but just runs the offense. You know, he just knows what he's doing, gets everyone in position, and just makes plays he needs to. Yeah, I've always heard that argument. I love Chris Paul, don't get me wrong, but he hasn't won yeah. So it's kind of like the argument that he's, you know, the best or one of the best. I've always struggled with that comment. I mean, he is a great point guard, don't get me wrong, but late in games, you know, you've got a, you know, six-foot guy out there against bigger guards, and they take advantage of him sometimes. I mean, usually he's pretty savvy one-on-one, but 
Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I'd include him this year thus far. I mean, I realize the Clippers are the three seed, but Kyle Lowry has the Raptors in the second seed. And if you look at that roster, you wouldn't think it would line up at all with any of the other teams that surround it. So, I don't know. I think I think what Lowry is doing to me right now is definitely better than either Steph or Chris Paul. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a very fair point. It's, it's one that's definitely worth arguing for. And the other thing, that too, that just kind of got me with that, Rob, is that the players in the league all adore Paul. Like, they all mention him at the top of their point guard list. And part of that, I think, has to factor in. And it's something that they see that we might not see on the outside. But no disrespect to Lowry. He's having a great year getting that Toronto team, uh, getting the North back, you know, proving that they're not just flash in the pan. So I think that's really exciting there. Well, Rob, before I let you go, it was a great interview here on the Money Mitch Effect. You're actually going to see your thunder tonight. I mean, this is going to air after the game. So what are you hopeful that you'll see tonight by the time this uh, podcast goes up? I hope that the thunder light up the Clippers again. Uh, They've won both head-to-head, one at each place. So I hope the thunder can just keep that momentum. Yeah, I I think you look for, obviously, Westbrook seeing him in person is going to be a real treat. But um, back to what you said, I didn't mention Anus Cantor as one of their as the next best player, even though his offensive game is great. How about a little defense on the on that end for him? Just something. Just give give Billy Donovan something. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I think I love Tanner to test. I think he's the piece that if we get rid of someone to get Rudy Gay, I think it has to be Tanner, which would suck. So hopefully we figure that out because he's playing out of time, and he usually only plays like. 15 minutes a night and gets a double-double. So. Right, yeah, and I mean, he, he does he does a lot on the offensive end, defensively not so much, but hey, you know, he does uh, bear a striking resemblance to uh, a short-haired Freddie Mercury, so he's got that going for him. <laughs> yep, a, uh, a Turkish Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah, that's, that might be his nickname in Turkey, but all right, Rob, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate it. Have fun at the game, and we'll be checking in uh, as the springtime gets here with more NBA action. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Big thanks to CJ Deer and Rob Crowder for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. And I think Steph Curry might have heard us by the time this aired. He had already done a good job in dismantling the Cavaliers. A good performance by Steph Curry as he wants to get back in our point guard ratings, which is only fair. A big thanks to both our guests on today's show. And a reminder, you can listen to all episodes of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect. Pops right up. You can follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. We're 49 episodes in, so you got a lot of catching up to do if you're just hearing this for the first time. But, hey, the bandwagon is open, and all people are welcome. That's going to do it for today's show. There's going to be one more episode this week. We're going to preview the conference championship games and get into some other sports headlines. I'm in the midst of Australia. It's already getting exciting down under. Make sure you're following that as well. For all our guests and everybody that makes this show possible, I am Mitch Michaels. Thanks for listening to The Money Mitch Effect. And I'll see you next time.